Man, welcome in on this uh, cozy morning. Uh, I apologize for the temperature in here. I was told right before I walked up that uh, the front unit in our sanctuary is out. So we will fix that before next week. Uh, but uh, I, <laughs> I appreciate you guys being here and hanging in uh, with us. We've got the back doors open, trying to do some things to cool us down. So uh, anyway, it's just one of them things, right? But we are so glad that you are here uh, today to worship with us in our 1045 service. We are going to continue our message on uh, our message series entitled "Unspoken," right? Seeking God in prayer as a church. Man, what does it look like for us as a church to seek God in prayer? What does it look like for us individually to seek God? And so we're asking some of those questions. Last week, uh, we talked about God's uh, perspective, that many of us in our lives, we can view uh, ourselves different than how God views us. We can view others different than the way that God truly views us. And so the church at Laodicea, though they felt like they had enough and had everything they needed and was sufficient in themselves, they were naked and poor and wretched before God. And so we sought his perspective. The week before that, we talked about God's presence. That ultimately prayer is being in the presence of God. Uh, And what an incredible privilege that is today we are going to talk about this idea of uh, that we just don't pray enough about God's people praying for God's people we will pray for ourselves but we don't pray for God's people we miss how important that really is we miss the whole point it reminds me as a kid growing up i always was under the impression that my parents had money, had plenty of money. And I remember one specific time we were at Warren's Gas Station, which if you're in Lickskillet, you know exactly where that is. If you're not from Lickskillet, you have no idea where that is. Uh, Warren's Gas Station, and um, I'll never forget, like we walk into uh, the the gas station to pay for our uh, our gas. Uh, and they, they would take a check, and I'll never forget my mom and dad just being horrified. Now, they didn't really explain to me why they were horrified. I just knew they were horrified. I also knew that I was hungry, and I wanted some candy that obviously is located, that is a, a, a tale as old as time, right in the grasp and line of sight of every child, Right? And so my family had money. Why my family had money in my mind is because my mom had this magical thing called a checkbook. And that checkbook meant that we had unlimited resources because my mom could just write a check for it. It was like money, but you could just name your price and put on it and give it to them, right? And this was my thinking, and I can remember being in line at Warren's, asking my mom for everything under the sun. My dad is talking to the man in Warren's very, very sternly, come to find out, uh, back when banks were just starting to like freeze accounts because of fraudulent activity, our parent, my parents' account had been frozen and a check had bounced. Uh, and the way that they let you know that the check bounced is they taped the check in the front window of their establishment past the lawns has defaulted on his check. He has bounced his check. Everybody in Hazel Green knew. And so dad was taking care of it. I was under the impression my mom had limit, mom and dad had limitless funds because they had the checkbook. And I was asking for everything in the store. And I'll never forget there was a lady behind us who my mom in retrospect, said, anything embarrassing that ever happened to us as a family, Phyllis was there. It was a lady from our church that if something embarrassing happened in our family, she was there. And so mom, trying to minimize the damage as much as possible, wanted to shut her son up that was oblivious to everything going on. And she just reached on my shoulder and just applied pressure on this little nerve right here. And let me tell you, it did not have the effect that she thought it would. She thought, I would say, oh, my mom is 
obviously disciplining me in some way unbeknownst to me. I have done something to offend, and I will silently take this punishment. No, 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 no. Phyllis was there. So obviously, I had to respond in an embarrassing fashion. I scream. We've already bounced a check. Now, I scream, Ow! Mom, you don't have to pinch me! And Phyllis is there taking notes all along. I had a misunderstanding of how checks work. Now, I have recognized, now for me, it's not so much checks. We have checks, but they're like, you know, once in a month type writing things. Uh, We live on a card. And my kids think that joker is limitless. And you just swipe that bad boy and all consequences fall by the wayside. You can get whatever you want, right? But as I got older, I started to understand. I started to mature, recognizing that finances didn't work the way that I thought they did as a kid. I believe that's what we see in our perspective on prayer. I believe many of us live lives of children, the knowledge of children as it relates to the incredible privilege that prayer is in our life. We as a church, in a lot of ways, we see prayer as an obligation. Well, that's just what Christians do, we pray. We see prayer as a responsibility. If I really care about people, I'll pray. But we don't see it for the incredible blessing that it is. God has given us access to himself. And so what does it look like for us to make others, to make God's people a point of prayer? And we're not talking even about lost folks. We're talking about, we, we understand to pray for our, lo- our lost uh, black sheep uncle of the family, right? Like we, somebody, if, if, by the way, if you don't know if your family has one, congratulations, you're it. Um, and now Siri is giving us some, some details on that as well. Um, but We all know what it's like to pray for lost, hopefully, but what does it mean to pray for people that are in the church? People that you see on Sunday mornings, and if you didn't know any better, you'd think they'd have it all together, because that's what they act like. What does it mean to truly to intercede for others and to have others intercede for us? How faithful are we to pray for Christ's church? How faithful are we to pray for the ministries of this local body, the leadership of this local body, the direction of this local body? This is the idea that led me to this series is how often are we making this a matter of prayer and intercession? And so we're going to get into three key issues, pragmatic, applicable issues that Paul deals with as he talks to the churches, as he corresponds with the churches. He couldn't call them up on the cell phone, couldn't send them a text, so he wrote them a letter. He wrote them a letter telling them what are priorities in the church. And so Ephesians chapter 1 is where we're going to be. First, in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, the first thing that we see is that Paul made it a priority to pray for co-members in the church. He instructed the church to pray for members of the church, men, people within the church gathering. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. Let's read this together. For this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. This is the refrain that Paul uses so much, we tend to miss. We tend to skip over it as this is just stuff that Paul says. You ever, you know those things in the church, like these are just things that people say? I'm praying for you, and our minds can just be things, or if you need anything, just let me know, right? Like, just things that church people say. And when we read the letter, in order to get to like the meat of it, we skip over the fact that Paul has just said that he does not cease to thank God in prayer for the church at Ephesus. He gives them a standard. 
He gives them a, a, a something, a goal to shoot for, right? That I never cease to thank God for you. Look at verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. He's saying it's not just that, that I... Thank God for you generally, but specifically, I want to see you mature. In the same way that I had to mature in my financial knowledge as a young child to now as an adult, I, we need to mature in our understanding of what prayer means for our life. That you would grow in wisdom and understanding and the knowledge of him. When you read Paul's letters... This is a typical cadence that we see in his letters. He begins with greeting. He tells them he's praying for them. He addresses the concerns that he has and the issues that he has. He encourages them. And then, and then he says goodbye. Final greetings. And you'll see this over and over and over in Paul's letters. What does he say to the church then? He sets this tone. Warren Wiersbe says this. He does not ask God to give them what they do not have, but he rather prays that God would reveal to them what they already have. He's not asking for God to do something else for them. He's saying God has already shown himself powerful in you. He has already saved you, delivered you. May you grow in the knowledge. May you grow in the relationship that Christ has. We've just seen a step in the relationship with Christ. For Peyton to follow the Lord in believer's baptism is a step in obedience. As I pray all the time for those that are baptized, may that step be the first of a lifetime of walking in obedience to God. Right? And so, and so it's not, even though sometimes we put so much focus on the, on the decision to commit your life to Christ, to be saved, right? we miss the fact that the relationship is what Christ actually has called us to. Right, And so this is what they've already had. Paul sets this tone. But then he doesn't just say, hey, I'm praying for you. He asks it of the church as well. Listen to what it says, Ephesians chapter 6. Turn over a couple pages, verse 18. He exhorts the church at Ephesus and says in verse 18, Praying at all times in the Spirit. With all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak. What is he doing He's saying, look, I pray for you without ceasing. And I ask for you to pray for me. And sometimes the magnitude of that is lost on us. It's completely and totally lost on us. Yeah, he's asking for prayer. We ask people for prayer all the time, right? This is, this is, I want you to pray for this situation or that situation, right? Why, but why is prayer not a fixture in our life? Why don't we go to God desperately, not just for ourselves, but for others? I believe one of two reasons. Either one, we don't really believe in the power of prayer. We don't really believe that God, that it does move the heart of God. We don't really believe that it does change circumstances, that it does change us. Or number two, we don't feel like we really need God. It's one of those two reasons. We either don't see the value in it, or we overvalue ourselves to the point that we don't need God in our life. And that may not be a theological place that we get to in our brain, but it is a place that we get to in our heart. Where I've got this day. I've, I know how this day is going to go. I've got this routine. I can handle it myself. Every letter, this is not just something that he says to the church at Ephesus. Every letter that Paul pins to the seven churches that he writes to. 
some one-third of the New Testament written to these churches, Paul addresses the issue of praying for one another. Every single one of them. And so I'm going to do something that is very foreign for me to do as a pastor. Last week we got dug into Revelation 3 and talked about the context and the study and all of those sorts of things. Today, I want God's word just to wash over you. I want to read God's word for us. And I just want us to understand the compound magnitude and the priority. This is not something that Paul meant for the church to just skip over until it got to the main issues that Paul wanted to address. Prayer was essential to everything Paul did in ministry. It begins in Romans. And here's the deal. We're not going to have time for you to write these references down. They're not on the screen. You, you can write these references down. Don't turn there. All right? We're not going to have time. I just want God's word to minister to you. So at most, you can write down the references and you can circle back to them. All right? But I want to read these in succession. I don't want to give much commentary at all, which is the hard thing for me to do as a pastor. I don't know that I've ever formatted a, a, a message this way. But I want God's word to speak for itself in your life on these issues. So the first letter we find is Romans chapter 1. Paul writes to the church at Rome. By the way, a church he had never visited, never been a part of. And he says in verse 9, Romans 1 verse 9, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. Romans 12, verse 12 tells us to read. Then he, he turns it on his head, right? He tells them, I'm not ceasing to pray for you always in my prayers. And then Romans chapter 12, verse 12. What does he ask in response? Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer. Constant. He writes to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. Allow God to speak to you through his word. I give thanks to my God always for you. Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and in all knowledge. I never cease. I thank God always for you to see you grow enriched, enriched in speech and in knowledge. And then what does he ask of them in return? 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 11. You also must help us by prayer. He asked them to pray so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Intercede for us. This idea of privatizing the things that we need God to do for our, our life or situations that we find ourselves in is alien to the body of Christ. And he goes on to the church at Galatia. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, he says, My little children, for whom I again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is Formed in you. Now, he doesn't specifically mention the word prayer, but he is saying that I am so burdened to see you grow in Christ that it is like a woman, a woman preparing to give birth to a child. I desire wholeheartedly to see Christ formed in you, to see you move from this area of immaturity in prayer, in connection with God, to a place of maturity. And then what does he say in Galatians 6, verse 2? Galatians 6, verse 2 says, In the same way that I have owned your 
faith. I made it my point to pray for you and to bear with you. Bear one another's burden. As I have bore your burden, bear one another's burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. Philippians 1, 3 through 5. Are you sensing a trend here? I thank my God for you, Philippians 1, verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always. In every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I always, in every prayer of mine, in every remembrance of you, I make my prayer with joy. And what does he ask of the Philippians? For I know that through your prayers, verse 19 of chapter 1, through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He was writing in chains. He was writing in prison. They needed the church to pray for him. We find it in Colossians chapter 1. Again, the same cadence. Writing to the church of Colossae in Asia Minor. And it says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that you would grow up. That's what he's saying. We have never ceased constantly mentioning you. And then Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. He says, to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in, in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word, declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison. Pray for me. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2. In his last letter to a church, he wrote some to individuals, but his last letter to a church, to be read in the public hearing of the church, he says in verse 2, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. And in chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians, he tells them, Finally, brothers, pray for us. Pray for us. This was not something that Paul just glossed over. This was not something that was said in passing to pacify someone who is sharing their heart with someone else. Paul was an intercessor for the church. And Paul desired for the church to intercede for him. I think of all that Paul did. He planted churches all over the place, right? He, he did battle against the, the Judaizers, right? And, 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 and instilled good doctrine. He led people to Jesus. All of the things that, that Paul did. And one theologian said, perhaps the greatest work that Paul ever did was not planting churches because churches can fall apart. It was not writing letters because letters can be disregarded. It was not setting an example because examples don't have to be followed. But perhaps the greatest contribution Paul made to the churches was his intercession for them. And y'all, this turns on its head every thought I've ever thought about Paul. When I think of Paul, I think of a church planner. You know why? Because I'm a church planner and that sounds cool to me. Me and Paul, homies, right? Doing the same thing, same heart. This is awesome. When I think of Paul, I think of a great theologian that knows a whole lot of Bible verses. 
When I think of Paul, I think about all of the work, the missionary journeys that he went on and and how the gospel was shared. But when you look at the writings of Paul, what you see, what what God saw was not a missionary, was not a church planner, was not a smart guy, was not a theologian. It was a prayer. He was a man of Everything else in his life trickled down from that. So, (laughs) we're going to do something. Right? Churches fall apart. Letters can be disregarded. But prayer invites the activity of God in our lives and in the lives of others. And so I'm pretty well known for doing weird things in the church. Well, we're going to do one of those right now. I fully believe, man, we come here on a Sunday morning and we start acting like everything in our lives is perfect. And I'm not talking about this is a time to air all your dirty laundry. I don't, I, don't want to, I don't want to know all that. I got my own dirty laundry. I don't need to mess with yours, all right? But I do believe that we need to pray for one another. And so we're taking time right now, Sunday morning, prime time for the church. We're taking time right now. And what I would ask for you to do, now you can do this or not, but I would ask for you to find a family. Most of you are sitting with families or as an individual. I want you to find some people around you. And we're going to take five minutes of this church service, and I want to give you the opportunity to share prayer requests with them, for them to share prayer requests with you, and for you to pray for one another. It can be silently. It can be out loud. We can move. This is the second service, so we can move seats if we need to. But I want you to take time right now. Find some people, and you're going, well, I don't know anybody around me. Great. Meet them. Be friendly. It'll be awesome. And I want us to take time right now praying for one another. Can we do that? Five minutes. On the clock, we're going to take five minutes and we're going to pray for one another. All right? Let's pray, church. Yeah, move, spread out, whatever you've got to do.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me ask you something. Did y'all find out something that you didn't know about the person sitting next to you? You praying for something now that, uh, that you didn't know was going on? When we pray together, when we intercede for one another, we are uniting as the body of Christ. This is the lifeblood, the unity of the church. It draws us together. Uh, something that I didn't even plan to do, but in the first service, one of the guys in my group that I was praying with over here uh, started tech, started recording all the, the prayer requests so that he could pray for them throughout the week. I think we need to do that. I, I was doing the same thing. I had to tell the, fam- to tell the people I was praying with. I wasn't texting. I was, <laughs> I was actually recording prayer requests, and I sent it to myself um, so that I can pray for them. I would, I would encourage you to do the same thing as those people have entrusted prayer requests to you to continue to intercede for them, to check up on them. Right? This is what God has called us to do. But you know what? Sometimes we have to bear with each other. We have to be vulnerable. We have to be willing to not be okay all the time in order to have people interceding for us. And so I appreciate you humoring me in that exercise, but I hope it was eye-opening to you because secondly, we need to pray for community in the church. We need to pray for this one. This is what prayer does is it binds us together. And so we need to be praying in the church. Look at Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 13. It says, And he gave some to be apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of God. He's saying God has given people with unique talents, unique abilities, unique personalities. Some of you all are more unique than others, um, but unique personalities in order to build up one another, right? To go on from this silly childish understanding of prayer to understanding what God really wants to do in our life through it. We pray for community in the church. Only in the context of the church can people so uniquely gifted and interpersonally diverse experience true unity. That's the only way. Because Jesus is the only thing worth uniting under. Political party's not going to do it. Ethnicity's not going to do it. Gender's not going to do it. Nationality's not going to do it. It's only Christ. One of the most important things for us to do as a church is to be connected, to be united, but we don't even know what people are going through. It's not that we we don't even think about praying for them, but it's, it's beyond that because we don't even know what we would be praying for when we're praying. So what is God teaching us in this area? God has called us to unity. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a, a German theologian in the time of World War II, when Hitler was rising to power and then it became illegal right, to be a Christian, he led a Christian seminary, an illegal underground seminary of men, of young men studying God's word together, studying to be pastors and leaders. And he led these men into, under threat of life. Right, In fact, Dietrich Bonhoeffer would actually be imprisoned in a concentration camp and would be killed just weeks before his, that concentration camp was liberated by the Allies. So he understood what it meant to be in difficulty. But listen to what he said in his book, Life Together. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. Do we see letting people in on our life as a benefit? Or do we see it as a distraction, as, as something that has to be navigated? And God has called us to this unity. And to have that group of men, I can only imagine what it would be like to meet in that secret setting with those men. And literally all they had was each other. But it was enough because there was joy in community. Guess what? Paul had a heart for it as well. He doesn't just address it in Ephesians. You can write these scriptures as well. Romans chapter 12 verse 16. Let this minister and speak to you. Listen to the harmony. Listen to the unity here. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise 
in your own sight. Romans 12, 16. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 1. Paul writing to the church at Corinth. By the way, a church who was very worldly. Right? It says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree... And that there be no division among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Holy smoke! How do you get everybody in a room to agree on anything? Prayer. For us to say that is short-sighted. For us to say that is to miss what Jesus, what God has for us in prayer. And then Galatians 6, 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. To the church at Philippi, probably the church that he was most closely related to, loved the ten, most tender. Listen to what he says in Philippians 2, verse 2. Complete my joy and being of the same mind, have the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. To Colossae, in chapter 3, verse 12. He says, put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. Can I just say that the art of bearing with one another in a millennial generation is lost? This person didn't like me, so I want nothing to do with them. But to bear with one another, goodness gracious people, bear with one another. And I told you I wasn't going to preach these points, but dadgummit. Woo! Bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against you, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It's togetherness. It's unity. It's community. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are. Every letter to the church speaks to community, speaks to the harmony of believers dwelling together. You know what Jesus said? They'll know you're Christians by what? By your love for one another. By your love. By the way, that transcends this local body of believers to other denominations in faith that you may not agree with. Love one another. The last thing that we're to do is as we love one another, we are fighting together the fight of faith. So we should pray for the commissioning of the church as well. We pray for co-members of the church. We pray for the uh, community of, in the church. And we pray for the commissioning of the church. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. Of this gospel I was made a minister. This is Paul talking. According to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am very least among all the saints, this grace was given. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of God. God in his infinite wisdom has chosen the church as his channel and vehicle of blessing to the entire world. So we as his church should be passionate about seeing God's word preached. The commissioning of the nations as a part of the ministry of the church. He chose the church to be ambassadors of his grace and the vehicles of his blessing to the world. And look, we're a broken picture of that. We're a broken people. And so, sure, we're broken. You may feel like, do you feel under-equipped to be the one who takes the gospel to your workplace or to your school? Do you feel unequipped to do that? Good. Because Paul did too. And if there's anybody that I feel like has the merit badges on his sash to present the gospel to people, it's someone who penned two-thirds of the New Testament. And he says, no, I've got no idea. I've got, I'm the least of the saints. Under-equipped to the task at hand, which speaks to the connection that we must have with Jesus 
Sure, we are broken. Sure, we're sinful and prone to wonder. But we have received the gift. He says the gift of God's grace has been extended to Paul. He didn't feel like some spiritual giant, some paragon of the Christian faith. I'm the least of the saints, but I have received the gift of God's grace. So what does he say about that? Romans 1. Romans 1, verse 16, he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. To the church of, the Corinth, of Corinth, he writes in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 22 through 23, I have become all things to all people that I might by all means save some. Why? I do it all for the sake of the gospel. The gospel is the determining thing in his life. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9. Let us not grow weary in well-doing for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. This idea of the harvest, it deals with the lost. For us to not grow weary in this effort. Philippians chapter 1 verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit of one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. If there is one word for you today, it is that. Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1, 27-28 To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then to the Thessalonians, finally. So that you became an example to the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we don't need to say anything to you. The growth of the kingdom, the commissioning of the church, the going of the church is powerful. This quote, I heard this quote, uh, if you're in D now, You've heard this quote, if you were listening. You heard this quote. The man that quoted it, Caleb Gooch, I literally texted him this, uh, this week and said, I've got to have this quote. This is from a book that J.D. Greer wrote entitled Gaining by Losing. And this is what he says. Imagine how absurd it was for the disciples to hear Jesus say it was to their advantage that he leaves. Think about it. They've been hanging out with Jesus. God, with skin on, had been around them, hanging out with them. Their leader, their pastor. Here's the question. How awesome would it be to have Jesus as your pastor? Careful, you'll hurt feelings. I'm just kidding. It's Jesus. I don't compare. How awesome would it be? Every message would be a 10. Every mission strategy, heaven sent. Every decision would be divine. If you had a theological question, he would just answer it. Just, 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 just answer it. And if offerings were low one month, he would send out a deacon to catch a fish with $1,000 in its mouth. Praise the Lord. Man, it'd be awesome to have Jesus as your pastor. That's what the disciples had. But Jesus said, it's to your benefit that I go away. What does he mean? Even those benefits would be inferior, Jesus tells us, to a church of ordinary Christians empowered by the Holy Spirit. You know what's more powerful than Jesus is your pastor? Jesus living within you, going everywhere you go. That's what's more powerful than Jesus is your pastor. It's to your benefit that I go away. What a profound word. God has called us. What does, he tell, what does he tell his disciples? Greater works do ye than these. Not greater in the sense that they could one-up Jesus, but greater in the sense that there were more people doing those miracles, right? He's like, greater works can you do than these? Because there's more of you. We have, everywhere we go, Jesus goes with us. This is the power of the connection that we have in Christ Jesus through prayer.
And this is what we intercede like the dickens to see in the lives of others, to grow and mature. No, it's not an obligation and it's not a responsibility. It is a blessing to come into the presence of God, to lift up one another, to grow together in community, and through that incredible missions base to be sent out on mission for him. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? So if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, listen, as I describe that connection, you ultimately don't know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I want you to know that you can today. God makes himself available through the work of Jesus. God desires to give you his Holy Spirit. If you will confess your sins, if you will turn, if you will follow him as Lord and Savior, Christ will meet you where you are. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to do better. You don't have to try harder. You just have to give up. Give up of yourself. Give up of all that you're holding on to. And allow God to make you new. And that's the starting line. That's the beginning of a life to be lived, growing and maturing in Him. As Paul would pray for his church, so I pray for you. Not that I've already obtained it, not that I've reached some mystical maturity standard but I pray that you would mature into the knowledge of Jesus Christ more and more and more maybe that looks like for you maybe that looks like joining this church and linking arms with us as we charge hell with a water pistol together as we make it hard to go to hell from Elkmont, Alabama to be a part of this mission that this church has Pray that you would do that. I'm going to be here to entertain any decision that needs to be made. If you're here and you need to make any decision for Jesus, I'm here in the center aisle. Would love to talk to you about any decision that you would like to make. Salvation, rededication, baptism, joining our church, whatever it is. But I pray that you would do business with God today. You would connect with Him. Believer, unbeliever, I pray that you would connect with Him today. Ask Him to change your heart. Ask Him to renew your mind, your perspective, to enlighten you to His presence and that He would allow you to intercede for others. He would break your heart for His church. He would enlist you in interceding for one another. Father, have your will and way in this time of invitation. We love you. We thank you for your word. May it not return back void. May it bear fruit in our hearts and in our lives. And may we bear fruit worthy of repentance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? As we sing, you can, listen, you, you can stand to your feet. You can, you can stay seated and make this, make your altar your seat. You can come to the front. This altar is open for you to pray and do business with God. I'm here, as I've said before. You respond as the Spirit leads you in this moment as we sing.